0: Coinspot are giving away $10 worth of free Bitcoin for each verified user once they make their first deposit. Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. The Trader Cobb Crypto Show, talking business in blockchain. Hi there, everybody, and welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. It is my absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure to have with us today in what is the Trader Cobb Week of Women in Blockchain. I have Jane Thomason, who is the CEO of Blockchain Quantum Impact. And we're going to be having a chat to her about all things that she's involved with now and also why she's in this space. Thank you so much for your time today, Jane.
1: It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: Look, you have done a lot. You have done an awful lot in what I read to be here. You wouldn't know by looking at you, your 30 years career, 30 year long career. So, I mean, you've you've done a huge amount. Do you want to just take us through a little bit of those sort of stepping stones to bring you to where you are today? Just so we can get a bit of an understanding for who you are and why you do things.
1: I really started out from the very early days wanting to work in emerging economies and work with the poor. And I was originally inspired by a woman I'd met in Indonesia who was an Australian social worker volunteer who'd been working there for 14 years with poor families in central Java. And that was my original inspiration to get involved in international development. And so for the majority of my life I've been working in international development a lot of it in the health sector, in emerging economies. But I also had a short stint, a three or four year stint in Australia, um, running hospitals and running women's health services in Australia as well. But most of my life's been spent internationally. So in relation to blockchain, I had a lifetime of understanding what the context and what the problems were in developing countries. And I heard about blockchain. In fact, my son admonished me for not buying Bitcoin and told me it was about time I learned about blockchain. And so I started reading about it and understanding it. And then one day I had just this awesome realisation about what it could do for some of those problems in developing countries if we could actually deploy it at scale. So I've really intensified my focus on this because I really believe it's going to be world-changing.
0: Well, two questions or two, two observations one is that you listen to your son. That's, that's a big deal. Well done for that. Um, and, and two, uh, when did you actually get in? Like, when did you start researching Bitcoin and blockchain?
1: Well, that's, so 2010, my son told me to buy Bitcoin and I completely ignored him.
0: Wow. Um. Did he buy
1: Bitcoin? <laughs> No, he had no money. That's why he told me to buy some.
0: Oh. But
1: anyway, we all have these stories. And then 2016 was when he came back and said, Mum, did you buy any Bitcoin? And I said, no. And he said, well, it's $1,000. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, now you have to learn about blockchain because it's going to change everything. So 2016 was when I started.
0: Wow. And did you buy Bitcoin at that point?
1: Look, I've got a wallet. It's got a dollar thirty-six of Bitcoin in it, and I bought some Ether, which I gave to my granddaughter when she was born. So I'm not really a trader. I have it just so that I can say I'm participating, but I'm really interested in the social impact applications, not yeah. in trying to make money for
0: myself. No, and look, um, I will add. I mean, from from what I'm reading here through your bio and what I've looked up online and whatnot. You, you've had a pretty good career thus far. I mean, you, the, the, you, you, a development company, an international development company that you took from a $50 million capital, oh, sorry, capitalization to $250 million with 650 staff. And you were the CEO of that company until what, last year? Is that right? Yeah, just about a year
1: ago exactly.
0: Wow. So, I mean, that's, that's a huge undertaking. Uh, it's a lot of staff to manage. Um, where was that based out of, if you don't mind me asking? Brisbane. Brisbane, okay. So that was part of your time in Australia?
1: Yeah, except I've always travelled. So I set up the company, to be honest with you, as a way of staying involved in the international development work but while my children went to school in Australia so I could be based in Australia and then still travel and be involved in this work that I really value so much.
0: Wow. And I mean, it's it's quite interesting that, um, you know, development uh, in different parts of the world and look, development of buildings as well, you know, like that sort of thing. Blockchain can actually help that. There's a lot of talk around security tokens at the moment and providing some additional liquidity for a market that is, let's be honest, probably the most illiquid market available that is hotly traded. Um, you're in Hong Kong right now. You're doing a lot of stuff there, I'm sure, a lot of meetings. What's the most exciting thing that you're seeing at the moment as far as a shift? Because you, you get, you tend to get a vibe from these shows. The conversation kind of sways and turns from person to person that you speak to. Is there anything right now that's on the tip of everyone's tongues?
1: Well, I think when you're in Asia, it's all about making money. So I, I struggle a bit getting the social impact conversation.
0: Yeah, I bet.
1: No, no. I got. I had two chances at Hong Kong Blockchain Week. One was talking about trust, and one was talking about the future of decentralized autonomous communities, which I think is a really big potential for solving some of the problems of the global commons. So I was able to get in there. But I mean, obviously. I think the change that I'm seeing, though, I was at London Blockchain Week about a month ago, is it's moving from, if you like, the crazy crypto hype hype to thinking about enterprise and government and, you know, kind of longer-term applications of blockchain. So some of the audience is different. Yeah. Uh, and it's a more serious vibe.
0: Look, I found that, yeah, uh, last of an I went to was in Dubai, And we found it to be exactly the same. Uh, A lot more business people, a lot more government representatives, a lot more mature crowd. And I think that it's just morphing. The whole space is morphing because, you know, 2016, nobody knew about anything to do with it apart from the people who were diehards. 2017, people went, huh? Whoa. Wow. Oh. Oh. Missed out, boom, ha, 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 2018, right? And, but during that ha, ha, ha period, what that allowed big business to do and medium-sized business, you know, your VCs, your private equity, plus your big conglomerates, your massive international companies, whether they be investment banking or not because it transcends all industry depending on how you wish to use a blockchain, right? Uh, we definitely saw their interest coming in beyond just pure speculation on a, on a price play. They look at the technology now and they're going, help us understand how we can utilize this within our current business because business is looking for solutions and they're looking to cut costs. If you can provide better solutions for a cheaper price, they will literally do a handstand for you. They'll do anything you ask them to do. So it's allowing these these bigger businesses to come in and take it seriously. We're definitely seeing a shift in who's doing what, a lot of more big companies getting involved and working so you're over there with your social impact work what exactly is it that you're trying to get going and what do you need
1: well just let me track exactly what you said because in 2017 i was trying to open the doors of of the big Global development agencies, World Bank, IMF, Asian Development Bank, and so forth, um, and getting conversations with government. In 2017, it was pretty rough going mm. because there was very little knowledge about it and they were all fearful around cryptocurrency and ICOs. But what I found during 2018 was that um, not only did doors, doors open, people invited me in and other people who had some knowledge of this sector because they were saying, what does this really mean? What can it do? What are the applications? How do we get involved? How do we tell the difference between a fraud and a serious, you know, yeah. platform developer and so forth? So, so that's what I'm seeing. And what I'm seeing is um, a range of people around the world who are building really serious proofs of concept. What yeah. I want to see, and this is my message to governments and international development community, is you need to stop standing back and having a look at what's going on with the technology. You actually need to lean in and help shape it and mm. make sure that it actually does um, realise its promise of being transformational for the poor. So you need to get involved.
0: And so are you looking to, I mean, the, the common saying is to bank the unbanked, right? That's it. It's the most commonly used saying that everyone sort of gets, I suppose, in your world. Now I, um, I've had a part to play in, we were going to invest in a coconut water company. Okay. Uh, out of the Philippines, this was a couple of years back, 2016. And there's all this social impact that goes in and around that. So in the Philippines, for example, we could get much higher yield from the coconut because the coconut had more juice in it and there was a nice sweet coconut and blah, blah, blah. But what we were trying to also do with the government to help us with this was to get some funding to help to create an environment for which there's better education because right now what was happening over there, that was just one of the things. Over there, as an example, and you will have witnessed this all over the world, I'm sure, is that the man would go to work, so to speak. He would take the money. He would then go and blow a bunch of that money. Whatever was left left there after he blew it, well, the kids would get their education and get their food. So it ties back to nutrition. It ties back to the way the kids are raised and it ties back to their education. Now, a country that does have issues like this, education and nutrition are the two staples you have to create an environment where both of those can be actually available regularly consistently and and you want to try and improve on that so the base needs to be there and by having you know something that's more accountable than just a, a wad of cash in the hand that was then giving him more opportunity because it wasn't as easy to go and spend it that's just one little way that I understand how it can work and look these guys are also looking to do exactly the same thing using the blockchain is there any particular part of what you do where you see this as having the biggest impact
1: well i want to break it into two pieces because um i think that if you like the killer app for blockchain in terms of humanitarian uh, is going to be refugees and displaced people absolutely but just going back to your philippine setting The the critical potential is, first of all, identity, because you've got about 1.5 billion people in the world who don't have an identity. Mm. If you are able to give them that and to hash a biometric up onto a blockchain so they can connect with that, that gives them, whether it's financial inclusion or access to the economy, or if they own land, the ability to be able to register and then borrow money against their land. Um, Microgrid energy trading is possible with blockchain. Um, Supply chains for uh, medical supplies, uh, provenance of fake drugs, agricultural supply chains. I mean, the list is really enormous. So I think in any kind of poor country setting, there's an immense number of applications that blockchain has the potential to be able to connect and improve the lives of poor people if they have an identity. But I think humanitarian emergencies is really an incredibly important one. It's already being used in a number of the refugee camps in Jordan. And if you just think about uh, a refugee or a stateless person, they've left, they ran away. They haven't got an identity document. They haven't got a bank account. They haven't got their land or property records. They haven't got any qualifications or degrees that they might have so they leave that and it takes the refugee agencies years possibly forever to try and reconnect them with all of those things so if you just think of a person and all of those things have been registered and stored safely on a blockchain then immediately they're you know, resettled in Germany or wherever they've gone, they can connect with all of that and much more quickly become, you know, a functioning productive citizen again. And I think that's a huge opportunity.
0: When you explain it like that and you connect those dots along like a bouncing ball, it gives refugee status a whole nother meaning. It's not just people that are trying to run away from a war, for example. It's people that are trying to run away from a war. But then you only you only see that element Right. You, see, you only see that bit on the news or in the papers or wherever you get your information from. You don't see the, right, they've literally got nothing. What do they do next? Typically, the next stage of that that you see is then it's all negative. It's bad. They're doing this. It's doing that. It's like, well, give them a hand to help them try and create something better for themselves. And that small portion that is doing some bad stuff that you all only want to report on, probably won't be doing it as much because most of the time it comes out of necessity. It comes out of trying to survive. And I can understand that completely having that, because when they leave their, their country, let's say it is because of war um, let's say that, the, you know, there's a dictator, for example, dictator's gone, okay, everything's starting to come good again. Now they can reconnect back with their actual land and that might be 15 years down the track, but they still own that land, they still have access to that land, but without that sort of documentation to link them back to that, no, they don't. Anyone's got that now and that's really tragic and I guess that must be going on all around the world right now.
1: I think the other piece that I've been thinking about a lot because my eyes were opened um, in meeting with uh, some of the displaced people who are in Jakarta. And in Australia, we catastrophise people coming on boats and say it's a terrible thing. But what I realised that I honestly hadn't thought about is if you're going to pay a people smuggler to take someone from your family out to the outside world to achieve success, to be able to, you know, create a future for the family, you send your best person, you send your most educated person you're most likely to succeed person. And I suddenly realised from meeting some of these these um, refugees in Jakarta that you've actually got this pool of skilled talent who almost create a kind of mobile workforce that we could draw into if we were smart enough to go, can we find who are skilled amongst these people and categorise that and then make it available on Upwork and employment sites? They yeah. don't have to be a problem. They could be working somewhere.
0: It's, yeah. I mean, look, for, for intelligent beings that aren't in politics, uh, we can see that and we get it. Uh, and and we've got to remember though, okay, we've, we've got to remember that this is from a leadership that thinks that cold is great and the future. So thinking outside the box, that ain't going to happen right now, right? I mean, I, I mean, that sounds very pessimistic, but I mean, like literally our prime minister threw around a lump of coal jokingly in parliament. Like that's who is running our country right now. Sure, he's the night watchman. He's the 12th man. He's not going to be around for very long, but he's there right now. You know, it's... it's, yeah, I, I think there's so many opportunities in Australia to, to, to be leaders. and I'm really impressed with what's coming out of South Australia at the moment with relation to the solar farm. But obviously, Elon Musk coming in with his giant battery, the biggest in the world, and also the big hydrogen plant. I think it's called a plant that they've got setting up now. So they're really focusing towards that cleaner energy. I've also caught wind of... um. I think they're looking at, uh, they've got a big uh, sort of um, incubator type center they've got coming up there and they're looking at putting things in there to try and attract uh, talent, very similar to that of sort of a Silicon Valley type vibe to the area. Now, of course, it's Adelaide. It's small, it's quiet, but it's cheap. And businesses, startups, they want access to funding. It's not too bad a spot down there. So hopefully it'd be weird if Adelaide led the rest of the country, but I don't care who does it as long as we start to take note of what the world's actually doing and not just what, the, what we think is happening uh, and what's easy to cling on to. It's very, very frustrating indeed. So on that, we're going to come back to, the, to some of the stuff that you have done in your career that's very, very impressive. And I am going to read this because I can't remember everything you were 2018 so last year you were awarded the top 10 digital frontier women women and UN decade of women quantum impact champion. They could make that a little bit easier to read let's be honest <laughs> uh, it's quite a quite a mouthful what does that mean?
1: Uh, well on International Women's Day in 2018 uh, there was the launch of something called the UN decade of women um, and this was really a 10-year effort. To mobilise frontier technologies to address um, issues for women across all of the Sustainable Development Goals. So there was a big event um, in the UN, and there was billboards in Times Square and all sorts of excitement. Yeah, right. um, and they uh, they named the top ten digital frontier women and gave out some uh, other special awards. So I was lucky enough to be named in that award ceremony. But I think I think the idea of it is not so much that you know, you get an award, it's more that you've stepped out there in leadership and that you've had courage and and you're out there, um, you know, trying to open doors and champion a cause when people don't realise it's important. So I think what they're trying to do is to use us and ultimately there'll be uh, up to 300 uh, of the Frontier women and we need to be out there at the Frontier all kind of blazing trails together. So I think that's the idea behind it.
0: Well, you said lucky. There's no such thing as luck there. I mean, they didn't pluck a name out of a hat. You've been chosen for your contribution. Come on. That's you know, very modest of you, but uh, you've done a lot. You've done very well. And it's one of these things where I see if Johnny that, uh, you know, I've been introduced by Johnny, who's a friend of ours now, like a combined friend. Um, I spoke to him and it's like, look, you, you get the feeling and you look at his career path you think, look, you don't need to be doing this. You, you, you could be off doing whatever you want. And, again, I'm very sure that you'd be in that sort of position. You you could stop now. You could relax. You could do whatever you want. You could go and buy Bitcoin with your son and play Fortnite all weekend if you wanted to, you know. Like, <laughs> there's a lot that you could be doing right now other than going out and doing what you're doing. Is all of this based around championing a cause as opposed to anything else for you right now?
1: I Look, I've spent my whole life, uh, you know, working on – poverty and inequality in developing countries and trying to make people's lives better. And what I I see in this is an opportunity to accelerate it, to do it in a more powerful and substantive way. And so I really want to push and see if that's possible because it's, you know, you're kind of creating the future and most people can't envision what the future could be. Mm. Because even I was thinking about when you were bemoaning our politicians one of, the, one of the ideas or you know, kind of inspirations from what blockchain could do, and I touched on it in the beginning, is if you think of something about environment or climate change and preserving this planet that we live on for our future generations, we don't actually have to be so worried about the sovereign state because what blockchain can do is it can connect people all around the world, it can incentivize people, people can participate, people can invest, people can give expert opinion on climate change in the environment, irrespective of what any government thinks. And so that's the kind of powerful thing about the future um, that excites me if we're able to bring together a group of people who can understand that and who can then build it and enable it to happen. And most people, they don't even imagine that that's a possibility so i think we need those of us who can see it need to get together and see if we can't build it because then it actually doesn't matter that much bypass what any, them. yeah exactly because you and i think it's going to demand that we rethink what the whole global governance of the world looks like when people can connect and form global communities on issues that are important to them yeah. because i think the sovereign state will become less important i think um, you know, like the city-state or the municipal state will become more important and I think that the current global governance institutions, you know, are probably uh, not fit for the future purpose that will be needed. And so they're the kind of big things that we need to think about and there's not that many people who are thinking about them. And so, um, you know, I and there's, there's a range of people around the world who are all really trying to, create that future and envision people about what it can be and what they need to think about to prepare
0: well as you sort of talked that through we obviously we're talking about blockchain here and whatnot i mean i can kind of see since you've opened the vision up a little bit more that you know we could have a one world where we vote on certain issues together we have we create a voice so you know all the people in the world right now that are saying we need more green energy Um, now if we would all properly band together and show our numbers, who could really ignore that? That is probably one of the biggest causes at the moment, uh, being pushed out. Another one is women's rights. It's, that's something that's been at the forefront for the last couple of years, especially with the Me Too movement and whatnot. I know that's a very negative thing to bring up, but there's been a lot more of that, you know, equality. I've got two very young daughters. I want them to have role models like you. I want them to have, I want them to have people that are doing things and, Whether they want to be big or small or, you know, employed or run their own thing or an athlete, I don't really care. I just want them to be treated evenly. And you don't realize that until certain things come around, like International Women's Day, some of the things that were coming across the feed about, you know, a a man pretending to be a woman and going through the same cycles of a night out and at work. And you think, wow, I've I've never really thought of it like that because I, I don't need to. You know, I haven't been forced to. It's never been in my face. I, I work for myself. I haven't worked in offices, so I don't have that much contact with the workforce, so to speak. And you think, geez, if it really is that bad, you just read some of the statistics now and it gives you that. The statistics come at you and you can, you can humanize those statistics now rather than it just being a number. Um, So, yeah, if we could band together and have that blockchain connecting us all as one, as opposed to this is my government, this is my country, this is your country, you stay in your land, I'll stay in mine, but come together, not only that, but we could also come together as a group of investors because money drives progress. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what the ICO boom, although very uh, interesting what happened throughout that period, um, that's what it can be used for. Uh, but maybe a little bit more work needs to be done on the actual execution.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it was pretty amazing, but it just went slightly awry. Yeah. But No, absolutely. And there's uh, there's many, many applications of blockchain that are really relevant to women. Um, and one of the areas that I'm working on at the moment is working with the Global Partnership for Women's and Children's Health, which is the biggest Global partnership of more than seven thousand organizations, and talking to them about developing a digital transformation strategy, and looking at how um, blockchain and other frontier technologies can really accelerate the impact of the work that they're doing. So I think there's amazing opportunities, and you know, I and and there's plenty of people out there like me who are just out there trying to find them and trying to. Uh, envision people and then create the connectedness and the financing because you can't do anything at scale, as you say, unless you've got the financing. So there's some great proof of concepts out there, but they're going to need to be scaled and they're going to need to have appropriate um, forms of finance to be able to scale.
0: Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you, Jane. I want to just put it out there to all the listeners and viewers right now. uh, Where can they find out more about you and and, and what you're doing and keep plugged into what's happening in your world and uh, the the causes that you're fighting for?
1: Uh, I post quite actively on LinkedIn, so please follow me on LinkedIn. I'm also, that's why Johnny Fry knows me. I'm one of the founders of the BBFTA, so I'm really active in the UK as well. So you can follow me on the BBFTA site as well.
0: Okay, and your your LinkedIn is Jane Thomason, I suppose. Yes. Yes, Jane Thomason, CEO at Blockchain Quantum Impact. There you go. Now you know what to look for. And, look, you'll see it all in the, uh, in the description of whatnot, the name and all that sort of stuff. But, Jane, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, taking time out of your busy schedule, no doubt, in Hong Kong. You enjoy yourself there and uh, I look forward to speaking to you down the track. All the best success for you.
1: Fantastic. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure.
0: Thanks, everybody. Bye for now. Bye.